The following Bible study is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. For more studies and information, go to graceteaching.net. And now, here's our Bible study. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for the evening. We're thankful for the time of fellowship around the table and the food that you've allowed us to enjoy tonight. And we're thankful now for your word as we feast on it and ask that you would help encourage us as we think about uh, Jesus as the light of the world. And we thank you for this then. Amen. Um, You take your Bibles and open to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, we are going to be putting in down at verse 25. That's where we we left off last week. What sign takes place in John 9? Just as a ray of review, what does Jesus do? Heals a blind man. Okay, heals a blind man. And in connection with this, and this is true with most all of the signs, Jesus says something about himself. And what what does he say about himself in this sign? He is the Spirit. No. This is, this is back towards the first part of the chapter. It's not too not too far into it. Is this the light of the world one? Yes. Verse 5, he says, When I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So we talked a little bit about that last week. What day of the week did uh, Jesus heal the blind man? Sabbath. On the Sabbath. Okay. And he's dealing with the the people that Jesus has come to speak to are what? Well, Jews, Jews, Pharisees are part of them. He's going to deal with them here in just a minute. And so um, the Sabbath was special because the Sabbath, does anybody know what the Sabbath was called for the Jews? God said the Sabbath is a something between he and Israel. That's what it is. It is the seventh day of rest. That's correct. But it's a... Is it a covenant? It's not. It is a... It's a sign. It is a sign. That's what he says. This is a sign between me and you. Okay? I said Shabbat. Shabbat. Okay, yeah. So this is a sign. And so this... And the Jews took took the Sabbath very seriously, which they should have taken it seriously. But as we go into the last part of this, we're going to put in at verse 25. Verse 25, and uh, therefore that man answered, well, let's look at the end, let's look at verse 24. I skipped over verse 24, because remember, what did they do to his parents? They called his parents and say, is this your son? And then they asked the parents, how did he recover his sight? And the parents said, he's old enough for him to. That's right. (laughs) And what what was the problem the parents had? You remember at the end of this? It was related to the Sabbath issue. Or, well, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. They were afraid they'd get kicked out of the synagogue. Yeah. Synagogue is kind of like church for us. Okay. It was a place that Jews got together outside of the temple. And it says that they were afraid that they'd get kicked out. So, verse 24, Therefore they called the man a second time, the one that was blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, who's this man? Who's he referring to? Are they... No, start referring to Jesus. So this is what they're telling the blind man. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. So that's what the lead. 
Yeah. So this is these are the the religious leaders. The religious leaders are telling the blind man, this man that healed you, this Jesus that we're talking about, he's a sinner. What? In 24? In verse 24. Therefore they called the man a second time, the one who was blind, and they said, you give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Okay. Meaning that they made, that Jesus made blind. No, no, they're talking about Jesus, because notice verse 25. I always thought they were talking about Jesus. Yeah, no, no, nope. read verse 25. Therefore, the man said, if he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, I was blind, now I see. See, so the blind man goes, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But I know this, I see. See, so they're saying he's a sinner. And therefore, they said to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And they answered, and he says, I already told you, you didn't listen. <laughs> Why do you want to hear it again? Are you surely you do not want to be his disciples, do you? That's not what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. And they ridiculed him and they said, You are a disciple of that man. We are Moses' disciples. We know that Moses spoke to God. This man, we don't know where he is from. So this is the way they retaliate. They're really upset. And of course, being a Moses disciple is a big, really big deal to them as far as they're concerned. Verse 30, and the man answered and he said to them, this really is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from and yet he opened my eyes. We know, now this is his, this is his response to what they said when they said Jesus is a sinner. We know that God does not hear sinners. No. That was something that was assumed, that was something that they assumed within Judaism is that if you were sinning, God wouldn't listen to you. Where did they get that from? That's, that's so awful. The way they did that was that if you were sinning, you had to bring a sacrifice, you had to bring an offering, a sacrifice up to the temple, you had to go to the priest and you had to get everything, you had to get cleansed and be right, otherwise you didn't have access at the temple. And so in that sense, they were right. Um, I don't know, we did a study here several years ago on this idea of access, that we have access to God any time. Our access is based on who Jesus Christ is and who we are in him. But for an Israeli, their access to God was that they were meeting the requirements of the law that allowed them to come up to the temple because that's where God was. God was at the temple. He wasn't out. They couldn't just go anywhere and talk to God. They had to come up to the temple. They had something they wanted to talk to God. Who is saying this? Who's saying we know the guy doesn't hear sinners. That's the but blind man. Then he will hear it. Yeah. So who's this is the blind man. This is the way he's responding to these religious leaders that are saying, "Oh, this man's a sinner," and he's going, "Well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I was blind. Now I see." And they're going through there, and they they're kind of trying to get after him, saying, "Hey, we're Moses's disciples." And so he says, well, I don't know if, he's, if he is a sinner, like, like I said, or we know, excuse me, verse 31, we know that God does not listen to or does not hear sinners. Okay. So here, here's an example, something I, there, there's a number of things you and I, I don't think we appreciate as examples of this. Um, 
just trying to think where to go to show this. I've got two places, and we're going to look at both of them. Now, let's go to uh, 1 Samuel. Go back to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. One of the big books, right after Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. What? So, are we supposed to like not take this with a grain of salt? Like, um, now we know that God hears no sinners. Like, well, that's what we're gonna. That's what we're gonna look at. We're gonna try to. We're gonna try to piece some things, a couple details together here. Um, chapter one, First Samuel, chapter one. First Samuel. And. Uh, We'll just go right at the very beginning here. We're not going to read all of this. It says, Now there was a certain man from Ramathiam Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. And the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children. Hannah had no children. And this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. They're not going to Jerusalem yet because the, the tabernacle is in Shiloh, which is to the northwest of Jerusalem. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord there. So they go up and his wives go with him. And Hannah really wants a child. She doesn't have a child and she really wants a child. So if you go to verse 9, uh, and then Hannah, well, let's go, uh, yeah, verse 9. Then Hannah rose after eating, well, let's go, I'm going to read verse 8. This just as an aside. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? In other words, he says, I'm a good husband to you. I love you. Can't you Can't you be okay with me if you don't have, have a son? You know, this is, he's trying to encourage her. He's not trying to get after her. He's trying to encourage her. But verse 9, then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. So she goes up to the temple. Eli's sitting up there by outside the temple, sitting on a chair or a stool or something. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. So I think she's praying. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on my affliction, the affliction of thy handmaid, or maidservant, or handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thy maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. That would mean he'd be taking a Nazarite vow. Now it came about, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Now, why would you, why would you think if a person had come up to the temple, you and I, we've lived two thousand years of the church. When you want to pray, what do you have to do? What? Bow your head, close your eyes. <laughs> that's really, that's really good. Yeah. Bow your head and close your eyes. Because do you really have to bow your head and close your eyes if you want to pray? No, that's exactly the point. You don't have to, Where do you have to go if you want to pray? You don't have to go anywhere. You're always seated at the Father's right hand. So we can pray anywhere. In the summer, you can pray when you're sitting out on that mower. I can pray when I'm laying in bed. 
there's a poem one of my professors used to read to us about a guy that fell down a hill and landed upside down in his head in the bottom of a well. And there's all these famous great preachers all talking about what's the best way to pray, what's the best form. And he says, all I know is the best prayer I ever prayed was standing on my head because he was upside down in a well. Anyway, but the point is there is no fancy place you have to go, no fancy stance you have to, you have to take, no fancy words you have to say. Just we can talk to God. But in the, in the Old Testament, when the law was in effect from the time of Moses until the time of Christ, if you wanted to talk to God, you had to go to Jerusalem and you had to go up to the temple. And when you went up to the temple and you wanted to pray, do you know who you talked to? You talked to the priest and you asked him to go into the temple and pray for you because you couldn't go into the temple itself. You could only be on the outside part of it. So when he sees her lips moving, he's thinking, well, she must be drunk because nobody prays to God. They all have to come and tell me what they want to say. And then, I, then he relays that. Then he goes in there and tells God. That's the way this operated in the Old Testament. This is very different than what we have. That's why when we read this, this doesn't make sense to us. If I walked up on a, on a some morning and I saw somebody out sitting on the front bench, sitting right out in front of the church out there, and they had their eyes closed and their mouths were, I would probably think, oh, they probably think they need to come to the church and pray, and they're praying out there. I wouldn't think, oh, they're drunk. That wouldn't be my first inclination. But it was for him, because he couldn't figure out why her lips would be moving, but she's not saying anything. That's right. So that's an illustration that in the Old Testament, if you wanted to pray, you came and told the priest what you want, and the priest did the praying for you in the temple. That's one of the reasons we have psalms. A lot of the psalms were things that David and other people wrote that they wanted to communicate to God. So they would write down what they wanted said and give it to the priest, and the priest could take it in and read this before God. But isn't that more of what the Israel believed, not, not necessarily what God said? Because God heard her and gave her sample. He did, because I think what... My question is, who heard, who heard her and she gave all he could do is he'd just see her lips moving. See? So he doesn't hear her. And well let's let's uh Yeah, yeah. She's it says she's praying in her heart. Said that uh, uh where does it say that? Oh, verse thirteen. She was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving. So the you know, so it'd be like I drive my wife nuts sometimes. I'm reading a book and sometimes I kinda when I'm tired and I'm reading, I'd be sitting there going, and my lips are moving as I'm reading, which they say is really it's bad because it slows you down. But sometimes I'll do that. Pick up, stop that because she hears this, you know, this noise, and it can, can be annoying, you know. So she'll say, oh, "Don't, don't, don't do that," you know. Um, but that's this idea that see, her lips are moving because she actually is doing something. She's just not talking out loud. She's just. Verse 14, then Eli said, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away the wine from you. And, answer, and Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of the great concern and provocation. And Eli answered, said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor or grace in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And of course, then she has 
a, a little boy and his name Samuel. That's the rest of the story. But the point is, the priest wonders what's going on. And you and I don't appreciate this because, like I said, we just pray anytime, anywhere to God. They're in a setting where they have to come to the temple and they have to talk to the priest. So doing what she did was unusual. So was that the first time or was it? First time that somebody had done that? Yeah. Well, I think maybe the first time Eli, this the, the high priest Eli, had witnessed somebody do that would be my guess. I, maybe other people had done that. I That I don't know. So with that, um, let's go over to... Um, I think I'm going to get this wrong, but go to Matthew. I'm probably going to mess this up. Matthew chapter. Let's see, where do we want to go? Matthew chapter 5. Yeah, I don't have this right. I apologize. I should have pulled this one up ahead of time. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> in verse, or Matthew 6, pardon me, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7. Um, in just a second. I apologize for doing this to you right now because I'm messing this up. <laughs> oh, let's go to Luke 11. Let's do the Luke 11 one. Okay. There we go. This is different. I apologize. I didn't have this one down. Luke Oh, okay. Luke 1, Luke 11, 1. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples to pray. And then he kind of gives them a like an outline for a prayer. People pray this repeatedly, word for word. But this was not, Jesus wasn't intending people to repeat this word for word. He basically was giving these disciples an outline uh, of how to pray, kind of an outline to follow. But the very question there in verse 1, teach us how to pray. Why would they need to be taught to pray? What did because we just look they, at? Yeah, because they had had to go to the priest, and so the priest would pray for them. That's right. So they could say, I want to ask this, but I don't know how to do this. How do you talk to God? And the priest did all these things. And so Jesus gives, uh, gives them what popularly is called the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer for the disciple that he is to pray. And he doesn't, like we said, he doesn't repeat this word for word, our Father that art in heaven. Jesus never meant them to go through that word for word. He's saying, this is an outline. Use this as an as a outline that you're gonna, your prayer is modeled after this. That's what he was telling them. But again, yes, it's because these disciples didn't know how to pray. And we don't understand that statement, teach us to pray. But it also tells us John taught his disciples to pray. Why? Because they didn't know how to do this. It wasn't normal. On top of all that, then, as we said, for a Jew to be able to approach God at the temple, he had to bring a sacrifice. If he was in sin, he couldn't come before God at the temple. He could come, but God wouldn't listen. He had to do that. And we've got, uh, and I didn't put him together for tonight. Um, but that was, I didn't put those, maybe we'll do those verses on another. They really had to do that? Yeah, they did. Yeah. They had to bring, yeah. When we went through the study with access, we spent quite a bit of time looking at the whole sacrificial system and how God set that out for them to be able to come to him. We don't have to do any of that. It's all taken care of because we're all in Christ.
Every moment of every day, God the Father counts you and I as believers to be sitting at his right hand in the person of the Son. So when we talk to God, it should be no different than we turn to our left and talk to our best friend, or in this case, talk to our dad. That's what we're doing. So with that in mind, this man, if we go back to John 9 then, go back to John 9, this man then says something that all these leaders are going to, these leaders are all going to agree in verse 31. We know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if a person is God-fearing, person is God-fearing, and he is doing God's will, he hears this one. It's interesting that he says these two things about Jesus, because he doesn't really know who Jesus is yet. We're going to see that in just a minute. But he says that Jesus apparently has to be God-fearing, number one. And number two, that this Jesus must be doing God's will, must be doing what God wants. Because if he weren't doing what God wants, God wouldn't hear him. But if he is, then, then God hears him. So at that time, what does that mean, the, his will? That would have meant that he's doing what God had prescribed in the law. That's what they would have presumed that to be. So that could mean different now? Um, yes, that is different now. Um, in fact, um, give me just a second here and answer to that. I'm going to look in, uh, I was thinking it was in chapter 12. I don't see it off the top of my head. Anyway. There's a statement, and I think it's in John 12, where Jesus makes a statement that I have not come to do my will. I've come to do the will of the one that sent me. And he's talking about the Father. So he was doing what the Father wanted. He's doing the Father's will. That's what he's saying, okay? Came to do the Father's will. And so Jesus was doing this. The man that's healed from his blindness, he doesn't know that. He assumes this is true of Jesus, but he doesn't know how fitting those words are especially in the context of what we know as the Gospel of John, that Jesus says, I'm doing, the, I'm doing the, the, the Father's will. In other words, every sign that the Father had, all the works that Jesus was doing, all of those things were always what the Father desired, what the Father wanted. So he goes on from verse 32, and he goes, from, from the ages or from all time, has it ever been heard that the eyes of a person that was born blind have been opened? Now, he says there may have been people that were blind for a season, and then their blindness, somebody healed them of the blindness, and it left. But he says, has it ever been heard that a person was born blind, and they received their sight? Then he comes to verse 33. This is the blind man's conclusion. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. So this is the way he, this is the way he responds to these guys that say, Wow, we know he's a sinner. And the man goes, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I was blind, now I see. And his end conclusion is, if this man weren't from God, what could he do? He couldn't do anything. Verse 34. Verse 34. And they answered and said to him, you were born completely in sin, and you teach us? See, this is the way they respond. See, the... Um, if you can't, if you can't, um, what's the word I'm, if you cannot refute a person's argument, 
the most common response of a person can't refute a person's argument would be like, um, what well, Lewis was in on this last night, but last night we were talking about uh, um, creation for a little while. And so Jeremy starts talking about some of the chemistry and stuff that goes on with this. And I, I was, and I made the comment, I said, he starts talking about this, my head explodes because I'm, I'm not smart on that level. I don't know this kind of stuff. So I'm just like, Oh, I don't get this. But the thing is, what he's sharing is, is it's, it's, it's evidence. It's irrefutable. So you take somebody like me, that's not that smart. And I can't refute the chemistry. I can't refute what's going on. And he shares that stuff. And I'm going, yeah, well, you're ugly. <laughs> is that an argument? <laughs> no. But that's what people do. It's a character attack. Yeah, well, you're mean. That's a character attack. In other words, instead of really arguing with the argument, really taking the argument and dealing with that, what do these guys do? Well, we can't argue. You're a sinner. You were born in sin. That's the way they respond to it. Those are the Jews and their and their Jewish leaders. Yes, yes, it's their leaders that are doing this. So their response is, "You were born in sin completely, and you teach us." <laughs> yeah, right. You can't do that. And so it says, so they threw him out. So they threw him out. The very thing that his parents were worried would happen to them happens to him. He does get thrown out of the temple or out of the te the synagogue. He doesn't get to come back. He didn't He disagreed with them. That's one of the worst things to do is to disagree with people. We're, we're you know, what, what happened last year? What was the whole thing? Yeah, he was really what? sarcastic. Oh. What, was the, what was the crazy thing that happened here in our, in one part of our culture last year? When people, what? In the politics, yeah, but there was a thing that with people that are popular, remember they had the what they called the cancel culture, oh. and you're canceled. Yeah, it's just stupid. But that they're doing the same thing. We don't like you. You don't agree with the way we think, so you're canceled. We won't. We 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 get rid of you on on social media. We don't listen to you. We mock you. We do everything our can to shout you down. This is the way people handle stuff. We live in a world that this is the way they've been doing this for thousands of years. It's nothing new. Verse 35. Verse 35. And when Jesus heard that they threw him out, he went and found him and he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, just to see if you remember, when he talks about the Son of Man, do you remember what book of the Bible that title originated. You remember we talked about this early. What? Daniel. Daniel. Yeah, it comes in, I think it's in Daniel 7. Yeah. Daniel sees a vision, sees this thing, and he says, and I saw one like the Son of Man that was standing over the waters. And it's God. And it's really clearly God. So when he uses that title, Son of Man, these people know exactly what they're talking about. So when Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, then the man, this is the blind man, answered and said, Well, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he's the one that is talking with you. And he said, I believe, Lord. And he worshipped him. Is worship acceptable for anybody other than God? No. In fact, when you go to the book of Revelation, and I think you have also in the book of Acts, you have people that are meet an angel, and they fall down. In fact, it even happened with uh, with Daniel once, and an angel comes, and they fall down, and they start to worship, and they go, don't worship me. 
I'm just an angel. I'm just a servant. I'm like one of you, I'm like you that we're, we're just serving God. Worship God. Jesus does not turn this turn the man down. Jesus accepts the worship because he's worthy of being worshiped. So verse 39 and Jesus said, "For judgment I've come into the world that those that do not see might see and those that see might be blind." Sounds a little cryptic, but we're going to flush this out here in just a second. The Pharisees then heard this, some from the Pharisees. So some of the Pharisees are around when the man, uh, when Jesus meets the man and they start talking. And so the, these from the Pharisees, they say to him, uh, we surely aren't blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, then you would not have sin. But now since you say we see, your sin remains. In other words, he's basically saying, you guys think you can see but you really can't. You don't need, let's put this in real simple terms. A person that goes through life thinking, oh yeah, I've got some problems, but but I'm good. I'm basically good. God and I'll be good. We're, we're fine. Well, they haven't really come to realize that they're desperately, <laughs> desperately a sinner. They're desperately lost and they need God to save them. They need Jesus Christ's work to save them. A believer, if you're a believer in Christ, you have come to the place that you realize you are a sinner and you realize you have nothing to commend you to God. You have nothing to stand and say, hey, I've done all these good things for you. These count for something, right? You don't do that. You look and say, I have nothing. Everything, every good thing I've ever done is waste because it's nothing. You are the only one that can do anything. You're the only one that can provide for my salvation. That's the difference between a blind and a person that can see. And a person that really can see, recognize that, so they don't have sin anymore. But if a person claims to go that they see, they're still in their sin because they're, we don't have a problem. We can see just fine. Well, they can't. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. You can't see because you don't because you don't even see your own sin. So let's... Um, so by them saying that they don't see, Yeah, that's right. Anytime a person thinks that, well, yeah, I sin, but it's not that big a deal, you know, I've done some sins in life, but it, it's good. They don't really realize, they don't see the fact that their sin is actually very, very serious. So let's go back to um, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And uh, we're going to go down to, well, let's just start with verse 16. It says, For in this way God loved the world, that he gave his special kind of son, that everyone believing in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might judge the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The one believing into him is not judged, but the one not believing, he's already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the special kind of Son of God. And this is the judgment now. Now he's going to explain what this judgment is that the Son has brought. That the light has come into the world. Now remember, what is, what is light? It's another word, short word, that starts with L. What? Life. Jesus lived this life of God before people. It tells us that back in 
in uh, John, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So when he lives his life before people, they're seeing this life that is light. So it tells us, this is the judgment, verse 19, that light, in the form of him living God's life, has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their works were evil. Now that word evil, whatever we might think about it, it's built off of a word that simply meant to cause pain, is what the word ultimately meant. It's not what it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And on top of that, this particular word means that it spreads. So when I do that evil work, Eddie down there looks at that and goes, Tim's doing that thing. I could do something like that too. And pretty now he's doing it. Then he's doing it. Jeremy looks at him and goes, well, Eddie's doing that. I could do it. And so it's an evil. It's an evil that spreads, which is a really good example because Adam sinned and that has ended up spreading to the whole world. Everybody is in this situation. What? Oh, I thought somebody said something and I missed it. What? It's paniros, paniros. And it comes from the word pane, pain. See, so it's it's something that caused some form of pain in some way, ultimately. It kind of was the background uh, so of this. Well, yeah. The, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament word that's translated evil usually meant it caused disaster, caused ruin. And I would say this cause, this kind of work causes pain because it's when, when men set out to take care of things themselves, they mess things up. I mean, I don't get along with you. So if we did this on a nap, well, between me and you, I don't get along with you. So what I do is, there's a couple ways. Number one, I divorce myself from you. I just don't have anything to do with you anymore. Well, that causes maybe you pain, causes me pain, because now there's no interaction anymore. Or the other solution is I come over and I start a fight with you. And that also causes pain. If you do this on a, on a national level, not just between individuals, but on a national level, you end up, nations cut each themselves off from other nations and it causes them to suffer because there's no trade going on. Or those nations go to war. See? So whether it's on a personal level or on a national level, Paniras, evil, is when you try to solve your problem by your own means rather than being able to go to a person and saying, hey, we can work through this. I'm sorry for what I've done. And, and the way, and you, you know what? I think all, all of you should have, all of us as adults hopefully have learned this by now, but you never come to a person and say, Eddie, I am sorry that I was offended by your, or I'm, no, that's not the way you say it. I'm sorry you're offended. Yeah, I am sorry you're offended, or I'm sorry you offended me, or something like that. You never make him responsible. You make yourself responsible for what they've done if you've had a reaction to it like that. And so that's what you do. You come, I come over to Vic and I'd say, hey, ah, this is, this is on me. I, I am sorry. And uh, maybe he'll own up. If, he's, if he bears responsibility for it, maybe he'll own up to it. But maybe he doesn't. Maybe it's my responsibility. Anyway, but the point being, he says that's evil. He says their works are evil. He says that's the nature of the works of the world. Everybody out there. And that's why they don't want to come to Jesus, because they think their works are pretty good. 
until Jesus shows up and they sh you see a man that will exhaust himself all day healing people and showing people kindness and showing people love, even if it costs him everything. They don't do that. They'll love while it's convenient. They'll love while they can. They'll love to prove something. Jesus comes along and he says, hey, I'm just, this is the way it's going to be, which this is kind of what he's sketched out in the context. Then we go on verse 20. For every for everyone practicing evil things. Now, this is a different word for evil. This means worthless. This is the Greek word phaulos. The other word was paneros. This is phaulos. Phaulos means you put a lot of work into the thing, and when it was all said and done, there wasn't anything really of substance to it. There wasn't anything of substance to it. It, it doesn't have any lasting ability to it. He says, so everyone practicing the worthless things, he hates the light and he doesn't come to the light lest his works should be exposed or proved for what they are. He doesn't want to come. He didn't want to come around Jesus because he'd show up around Jesus and he'd go, man, everything I've invested my life in is nothing compared to him. It's a waste. It's horrible because they saw what real life, real love, Real righteousness was. And who was saying this? This, um, Jesus may be saying this. This may be John's commentary on it. That's one of the problems we have in John three is we don't know where John's commentary picks up and where Jesus's words leave off. So if we say Jesus said this, I'm okay with that. If we say, well, this might be what John is explaining about what Jesus said, I'm okay with that too because I don't exactly know where they end. Okay, but this is this has been Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Okay, turn from here to uh, now. We need to. Um, I yes. Have a question: Would it, so you know you're talking about the works? Um, would it be any different if, like, let's say we had hatred between each other, and we instead of like us taking care of it, like we put it in Jesus' hands? Would there be any difference? Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, Probably a better resolution right now. Yeah, we come to him and say, God, whatever you want me to do, what, however you want me to respond to this thing, it's exactly what I want you to do to help me work through this. That exactly is what you would do. So, because I would say nine times out of ten when I try to fix it. <laughs> but if I rely on him, he takes me through it. And it, because uh, usually, it, usually my problem is in here. It's a heart problem. It's an attitude issue. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's kind of going what you're saying. So let's go over to, um, we've already, we already looked at it tonight in John 9, 5, where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I want you to go to John uh, 16. John 16. And one of the things that the whole, and I'm just connecting this, we're going to look through these things when we actually get to the upper room, but this is one of the things this connects to this in, in John 16, 8. And it says, uh, and this is talking about from verse 7, it says when the helper or the comforter in verse 7, will, uh, that the comforter will not come to you if I do not go away, but if I go away, I will send him to you, verse 8. And when that one comes, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will reprove the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what he's, Jesus is saying is, is when the Holy Spirit shows up, he's going to be out there doing something I can't do. 
I can't get into the heart, into a person's heart, and make them realize they're a sinner. I can tell them a sinner, but they might go, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I can't actually get in and make that real in their heart. Second of all, concerning righteousness. And that's what we have? What? Is that what we have? Yeah, we have them now. But what he's saying is when the Spirit comes, he's going to come to the world and he's going to do this out here in the world. So he's doing something you and I need him to do, and he did it for us. Every one of us, if you're here as a believer in Christ, he did this with you when you were saved. He proved to you, he proved to you that you're a sinner. In what way? Because they don't believe in me. He proved that the Jesus, maybe you said I believed in Jesus, but you believed in a Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus that came and did everything necessary for your salvation. There was nothing else for you to do but believe. So that's first thing. He convinces us of that. Secondly, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. In other words, he has the righteousness to allow him to get to go before God. I don't have righteousness. If I'm a sinner, I definitely don't have righteousness to get before, go before the Father. Like Not like Jesus Christ has. So I need righteousness like Jesus Christ has. And the Spirit convinces me of this, that I'm, I lack righteousness. And lastly... What? Jesus, didn't have that. Jesus did have righteousness. That's why he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. So Jesus Christ went to the Father because he was righteous enough to, but I don't have that. See? And then the last one, and concerning judgment, because the ruler, that would be Satan, the ruler of this world is judged. Well, if he's going to judge the most powerful created being, Satan is God's most powerful created being, the Old Testament tells us. And if God judges him, then I, as a little sinner without any righteousness, where am I going to hide out? Where am, how am I going to escape this? If, if Satan can't escape, how can I escape? So he, the Spirit proves us these things. So if you stand there and say, I'm fine, I don't, I don't need what Jesus Christ has to offer, then you're blind, as he was saying about their leaders. But today, if the Spirit comes along and he does this work, you're not blind anymore because you see, I am a sinner. I've got nothing. I have no righteousness. And because of that, I'm going to be judged. And then somebody tells you the good news. Jesus Christ took care of that. He died for your sins. And if you believe in him, you'll be righteous. And you won't be judged because he bore your judgment. See, so a person, every no believer is blind because the Spirit did this work for us to see our problem. Okay. He actually does these three things so that we see our problem, so that we will believe in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Um, sure. Um, when he's um, minuses of judgment because the prince of this world is judged, mm -hmm. is there a reason he said prince, like in format, like he's just like under a king? Like well, or? the word that they translate prince in your bible all that is in the greek is just the word the ruler it's just the ruler of the world okay and why they chose to translate that prince in there i that i can't speak because there are words for prince but this word just means one that's a ruler okay i think it's because the translators probably knew it was talking about satan and didn't want to elevate it to a higher you know ruler seems tippy top whereas prince is like yeah. Yeah. I was kind of wondering the same thing. What? What? How does yours translate it? 
What? Ruler. Just ruler. Okay. So we're not blind. <coughs> Let's go back to John 15, right before this. And Jesus makes a statement. And remember, all this he's talking just as disciples. There's no, all these people are believers that are listening to him. But he says in John 15, 22, if I did not come and speak to them, um, they would not have sinned. Now, they would have sinned, but they just wouldn't know that they had sinned. They wouldn't recognize that they would have sinned. But this is, Jesus's works, I mean, this is what we're seeing. It, when, um, when Jesus cleanses the temple in John 2, they get mad and they say, hey, by what authority do you do this? In John 5, when he heals the man that's lame, they go, how can you do this? This is the Sabbath day. In John chapter 7, they're still mad about him healing the man on the Sabbath day, and they, they come and attack him. And then now they're even madder because he this woman caught in adultery, he lets her go in John 8. And so then they have, end up having this argument. Now we're been in John 9, and he heals a man that's born blind, he heals him on the Sabbath, then they're mad at him again. So he keeps doing these good works, and they're getting upset with Jesus for doing these good works. We're gonna, what? From their point of view, he's breaking the rules. This is exactly what he's doing. So, he says, if I had not come, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken with them, they would not have sinned. But now, they don't even have a covering for their sin. They don't even have something to throw over their sin and hide it. Because he had walked among them. He had healed among them. He spoke among them. Now, I had one other thing that I wanted to look at. Um, let's go to Luke chapter 6. Outside of the Gospel of John, but I want to look at this, this situation in Luke chapter 6. Um. Let's look at Luke 6 and then look at verse 5. Luke 6, verse 5. And he was saying, saying to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, who's the Son of Man again? Jesus, Jesus Christ, okay? And it comes out of Daniel 7. So he says, I'm the Lord. I'm the one in charge of the Sabbath. I'm the one that's over the Sabbath. He's the one. Remember, God the Son is actually the one that came down on the mountain and met with Moses back in the book of Exodus. He's the one that showed up. The Gospel of John even tells us that he was the one. He was the one that he met with Abraham in the past. He's so the it, that rested on the seventh day. That's right, when he created. He was a human virgin? It just says he, no, because he's not Jesus yet. He's God the Son. So he, but he comes down, and what kind of form he had when he met with Moses, we don't know. Okay. Yeah, because he doesn't become Jesus until he's until he's gets a human nature born from Mary. Before that, he's just eternally the Son. Verse six, and it came about on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and he taught. And there was a man there with a withered hand. I don't know if you know what a withered hand looks like. You know what a withered hand looks like, Clayton? You know? Do you have an idea what a withered hand might look like, Daniel? You do know what a withered hand looks like, yeah. Can you kind of show me with your hand what you think a withered hand might look like? There you go. There you go. 
Yeah. What? If you sucked all the gravy out of this. Oh. Okay. So just think about that. Would you be able to do a lot if your hand were like that? No. So this man comes in there. Would you feel sad, sorry if you saw a person that was walking around and they had a hand that they couldn't really do anything with? Couldn't pick up your pop can very well? Yeah. So this man comes in there. And the scribes and the Pharisees, those are their Jewish religious leaders, they are watching Jesus. They're watching him because to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath so that they might find something to accuse him with. This is crazy. Jesus might do something good to help a person. They're using a good thing he can do to help a person as, an, as a reason to get after Jesus, to try to do something. But he knew their thoughts. Jesus knows what they're thinking in their minds. And he says to the man with his withered hand, rise and stand in the middle of these people. And he rose and stood. So now the man's up there and they all can see this man stand in the middle and he's got this withered hand. And Jesus said to him, I'm going to ask you, he's asking these religious leaders, is it permissible or lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? Now, this is the other kind of evil. This is the cacos. This is an evil where you walk up to a tree and you're going, you're supposed to have fruit. There's no fruit on you. What's the matter with you? Apple tree that doesn't produce fruit? That's not right. That's this idea of cacos. So he says, is it, is it right to, is it acceptable to do good or to do evil? To save a life or to ruin a life, destroy a life? And they all looked around at them. Would that be um, him saying to save a life or to destroy a life? Would that be a definition of evil? Yeah, I think that's a good way to define evil. Yeah. Doing good would be saving a life. And obviously here you're saving a life not by making a person live necessarily longer, but making their life better, right? Whereas ruining them is just let them be. Let them continue going. If you had the ability to help a person make the rest of their life better and you don't, by this definition, that would have been evil. Says, and looking around at all of them, he said to them, stretch out your hand. Jesus doesn't touch the hand. He doesn't spit on the hand. He doesn't put clay on the hand. He just tells them, just stretch your arm out. Stretched his hand out, and he did it, and his hand was restored. And they were filled, it says here, with fury. And that word that's translated fury is it's an anger that comes where they're mindless. You ever, talk, you ever heard them talk about somebody that they're blind rage? mindless rage it doesn't make any sense why they're mad well that's what he's saying here they're filled with this blind fury and they were then talking among themselves what they should do to jesus see jesus made a man that's been lame makes him whole and they're upset by it that's the definition of evil that's the definition of this kind of sinfulness that these people had that they were blind to. Let's go look at one more, Luke 13. Pardon me? It is. Luke 13. Luke 13. Luke 13 and verse 14. And so, well, let's go to verse 10. And Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and in, uh, in one of the Sabbaths, um, in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, excuse me, 
And behold, there was a woman that had a, a spirit of illness that for 18 years she's doubled over. So can you imagine for 18 years you've been walking around bent over because you got this evil spirit that's causing you to be bent over? She's not able to stand upright. And Jesus, sorry, called out and said to her, Woman, you have been freed from your illness. And he placed his hands on her, and immediately she was restored. Literally, in the Greek, it's she stood upright, and she glorified God. And the ruler, or the head of the synagogue, the person in charge, it says he was indignant on that, that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, you've got six other days in which you can do your work. Come on those days and be healed, but don't come on the Sabbath. Can you imagine that? This is the way these people are. He thinks that he has the power in himself and that it doesn't come from God. Is exactly what they're doing. They believe in their law with the Sabbath, as you're saying, because the Sabbath was part of the Ten Commandments. They believe in that more than they believe in Jesus Christ. Exactly. You 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 hit the nail right on the head. And so this this sign that we've been looking at here in John chapter nine, and I've got a whole bunch of other verses I want to go over, but we're not going to do it right now. We've been doing this long enough tonight. But this sign in the end is about Jesus is about Jesus being the light of the world and taking a man and literally giving the man the ability to literally see physical light. But it's a demonstration then of Jesus causing a person to see spiritual light, to be able to see their need and actually be able to recognize who he is and come to faith in him. And I've got some other verses that I'm going to save because I'm not going to make you sit here longer. I could do that. That wouldn't bother me at all, but I'm not going to do that to you tonight. And I will save these for next week. Today is the 27th, right? And we will come back and we will pick those up next week. But they, And those are verses that are about being enlightened from a state of blindness. And we will come back and talk about those next week. Okay? Um, does anybody have anything you would like us to add to remember by way of prayer request tonight? What? Terry and Janelle, that's right. Okay. <laughs> Have a good evening. Is he really feeling? Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Good night.